Welcome to Soundings Podcast. I'm Dudley Evanson, and for more than four decades, my husband Dean Evanson and I have created music and media that supports people and the planet. In our Soundings Podcast, we'll be sharing interviews with wisdom keepers we have met in the course of our life journey. To learn more about our activities and releases, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. In this podcast, you will be hearing part of the soundtrack from our video called Two UN Earth Summits, 1972 and 1992. This section is from the second UN Earth Summit, officially called the United Nations Conference on Environment and Development, held in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in 1992. The speakers on this one include then-Senator Al Gore, Sarah James, David Suzuki, Maurice Strong, Jerry Sikorsky, U.S. Congressman, Bella Abzug, and James Schuer, among others. Hope you enjoy. We must give the indigenous people, who are minorities in almost every country, we must rally and make sure that they have expanded opportunities for self-expression, for maintenance of the way of life they choose when they choose their traditional ways of life, we must ena enable them to have the traditional homelands and the, and, and, uh, and the respect and the self-government they need to do that. So I hope that one of the results of this conference will be a whole new recognition of their value uh, uh, and uh, of their rights. In summary, Madam Chairman, we must better preserve our planet in order to nurture our children. We must better preserve our planet in order to nurture our children. And we must better nurture our children if we are to preserve our planet. Thank you. The nuclear waste and chemical waste and warfare has not been discussed at this conference. The greatest polluter of all things is what comes out of war. What we are trying to do now, I think, is to rediscover a sense of respect for our surroundings, for the other living things that share the planet with us. And there, who better to learn it from than the people who still belong to their land, who feel that the land for them is far more than just a commodity or a property, who look at the, at the land as the key to their culture, their history, their very meaning and identity is tied up in the land. And we have to rediscover that. You and I, as newcomers to where we live in the last 500 years, are like alien creatures who don't belong and don't really have that sense of respect. Indian belief is not any magic or secret, it's, it's in believing in Mother Earth to keep her healthy and in return she'll take care of us and that's life and that's to taking care of the sun. And if we don't do that, if we if Mother Earth can't operate, then then the radiation from the sun won't come in and everybody goes. And that's what's happening in an Arctic up there. I'm from about 110 miles northeast of Arctic Circle. 
the Kuch'en nation are caribou people, porcupine caribou people, is now threatened by the oil and gas development. As Indian people, we can be very powerful to revive Mother Earth, but we need your help, and we need each other help. And it's most appropriate that we all have an opportunity to listen carefully to what indigenous peoples from all parts of the earth are telling us. The Kayapo, as an example of what we can learn, understand the environment in which they live and classify ecosystems in ways which we would recognize in our language as extremely sophisticated. Global civilization is now encountering a major crisis, as we all know, and the philosophy of harmonious relationship to the environment is part of the solution. And we must learn some important lessons from you in order to establish that philosophy worldwide. Rafiq says that he does not want to fit in with society, he wants to stick with his native customs. He doesn't want to become white, he doesn't want to take part in the society, he wants to Indian till the end. The chief said that in the olden days, people of his tribe, men, women and children, people used to live for 100 years, 120 years, nobody ever died of sickness. When the white man came, he brought disease and now uh, people die as young as a year old. Uh, the medicines that they now bring is not enough to make up for this uh, the situation. We come to listen and to learn. We know that eight out of ten of the medicines sold in America have a basis from the plants. We know one-fourth of our pharmaceuticals that we pay tremendous amount of money for in the store come from your knowledge and the knowledge of indigenous people around the world. nuclear and the chemical warfare, the testing by the great multinational countries, that is being done in the Pacific. We have seen a genocide on the women of Belau, where they have had jelly babies. We've seen the effects of the radiation and the nuclear fallout in Australia and the Northern Territories. We've seen the fallout, what is this done in the dumping of the waste in the Pacific. You people who are the media here today have a responsibility to us, the indigenous people, to make sure that the multi-transnational companies and the government and the World Bank who finances many of these projects of the transnational, multinational, do not continue with this desecration of life. Radioactive waste will produce epidemics like millions and millions of cases of cancer, leukemia and babies born without brains for the rest of time. Anne and Kepley.
or dwarfs, or mental retardation, 3,000 genetic diseases we know about. That's what nuclear power means. It's medically contraindicated and must be stopped. It's one of the major environmental hazards on the planet not addressed by the officials at this conference. I am from the Havasupai Nation. My people are located in the bottom of the Grand Canyon in Arizona. We have been fighting against two major uranium mine corporations for seven years, Energy Fuels Nuclear and Union Pacific. They have been trying to mine uranium on our main source of water. The reason why these major industrial corporations want to mine uranium is because of money. That's all they want. They want money and greed is their thoughts. They do not understand us why we want to live and continue surviving in our homeland. So I am filled with shame that we in the rich countries uh, continue to do the same thing, but then point to the poor countries and say, no, no, you mustn't do what we've already done. So I think there's a tremendous responsibility on us in Australia and Canada the United States to recognize what destructive eco-bandits we've been. Challenge to the other doesn't, it does not lie with the leaders. The challenge lies with us as individuals in our own countries, in our own communities. So that what we have to do is be totally conscious of how we live all the time. But we as individuals, wherever we come from, I think we have to start taking a stronger stand. Money is not the answer to all these struggling because just last year in the United States, uh, the whole energy package, we kind of defeated it because Arctic National Wildlife Refuge was part of it. Um, the one which, where we're trying to stop that gas and oil development. It was, they came on pretty strong after the Persian Gulf because they said they don't have any uh, uh, fuel, I mean, oil import anymore. So they were real, the pressure was really great and we went and went into the grassroots people and the grassroots people from their own living room, their own phone, Indian people across the nation held ceremony just before the voting taking place at D.C. And uh, we did marching in D.C. Just the grassroots people went out of their own way to just to make it happen. We do have a power as a people and we come together and in all colors and uh, make this happen and we do have a power. And and I'm proud to say that because we had a consensus between North and South, which has been pretty hard for the men to do, they don't know how to get together North and South, frankly. They've had nothing but trouble in trying to come to common agendas. We women, because of our outside power, our self-empowerment, our self-determination, realize that we have to come together from the North and the South and have a common agenda, a consensus agenda. We've used that agenda to get into the process of the UN. We've had caucuses at every preparatory committee meeting where we have gotten a recognition of the fact that unless women and their needs and their problems are dealt with by the UN summit, there will be no fundamental changes. I mean, how can the guys who created the problems, whether it's governments or businesses, uh, be the ones to change it? That's what they're wedded to. They wanted to keep the status quo. Women 
from the outside is saying we can't live under these conditions. You're destroying our lands. You're destroying our areas. You're polluting our lands. You're creating radioactivity. Militarism has knocked out our hopes for using money to build economic needs that women have. A major issue that I'm involved in is the Green Belt Movement, a grassroots environmental movement that is trying to rehabilitate the environment using very ordinary people, using very ordinary techniques so that they can work, uh, make money, uh, although it is little, uh, empower them, encourage them, give them a sense of worth, a sense of dignity, uh, so that they can also, as they restore themselves, uh, as they restore the planet, they can also be restored. And I think we have been very successful so far, those of you who have followed the movement. Uh, we have managed to plant more than 10 million trees. We have engaged more than 50,000 women. We have more than 1,500 tree nurseries managed by women. But perhaps the most, uh, perhaps the success of the Greenbelt movement is the fact that uh, we have raised a public opinion and a public consciousness in our country to a very high level. Bill Riley, our own environment administrator, rose to the occasion and he sent a message back to Washington that was endorsed by the State Department asking the top administration officials to reconsider and see if they couldn't find a way uh, to sign the Biodiversity Treaty. And the Brazilian government offered to act as interlocutor to assist in bridging whatever gaps exist. And the answer came back from Washington from the White House aides, no, there are no changes that would be acceptable. And of course they were speaking for the biogenetic industry who weren't willing to share anything who weren't willing to make any compromise. They wanted it all, and the Bush administration backed them up. America, which is based very much on spiritual principles of freedom and of accepting everybody, uh, is put in this position of, of really rejecting everybody and uh, not being interested in sustainability, which is the planet, but only in terms of a very, very narrow margin of gains for a very, very narrow margin of people who are industrialists in the United States of America. And that's, that's tragic. I mean, short-term gains versus long-term uh, salvation of the planet. The discourse here and these magnificent people who are uh, telling us of their bleeding, of their pain, of, their, of the disruption of their lives, they are being heard. The world out there has a conscience, and that conscience is going to listen and it's going to react, and I think it's going to react positively, and I think that the United States will be in a pitiful minority as time goes on and as the conscience of the developed world uh, begins to take effect and begins to make demands on the developed world, especially on the United States. We will not be able to withstand the unified expression of disdain and, distr and distaste uh, and outrage at the negative, destructive position the United States has taken at this conference. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Soundings podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program. To learn more about our music, guided meditations, and videos, please visit our website and blog at soundings.com. Peace.
Music Blessings. <laughs>